Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. With me in the studio today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 38-year veteran in the automotive industry. Hey, Rob, thank you so much for having me ride along today. And Bill Sherrill, a guy who's been driving a long time and has a lot of great questions. Hi, Rob. Glad to be part of the drive today. Well, today we're going to talk about the dreaded roadside breakdown or emergency roadside breakdown as we call it. This is something that nobody ever wants to have happen and when it does, your mind just goes all over the place as to what do I do now? The breakdown is nothing new to the automotive industry. It's been happening a long time. As a matter of fact, it used to be a little tougher back in the day because help wasn't always around. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go way out here, but in the UK, the Royal Automobile Club, known as the Automobile Association, formed in 1905, offered repair services to their members on the spot and a tow to the local garage or the driver's home, if nearby. They actually had a limit of 20 miles on that service and in some cases then would provide an onward journey service if you're heading a certain direction. So, but closer to home in the U.S., the American Automobile Association, AAA, started the first roadside assistance service in April of 1915. What's so funny about that, and I don't think you ever watch an old movie with old cars that somebody doesn't break down along the side of the road. Yeah, as a matter of fact, just about <laughs> all always, of them, they're always you know, like breaking they're always down. Cranking the shift under the hood, it's always breaking down. Well, tire repairs, flat tires were huge way back when. You used to carry two or three spares with you. Absolutely. So you could keep going on your journey. You look at some of those old classic cars, and they actually had spare tires mounted on the front fenders, in some cases two, on all kinds of gear hanging off the side and off the back. I mean, you could not only just be an owner of this car and be able to drive it, but you really had to know how to fix it. You had to know how to get going again. And in many cases, people would stop and help. So let's head back to that 1915 that I was talking about earlier. There were five motorcyclists working for the Automobile Club of St. Louis, and they founded the First Aid Corps. The group drove through the city streets on Sundays looking for stranded motorists, so they were really focused on helping. They would make minor engine repairs and tire repairs for free for the members and non-members alike. They helped 24 motorists on that first Sunday that they opened the service in 171 by the end of the first month. Now, I call that proactive business solicitation for sure. There must have been a great need for services like that back in the day for them to be that passionate about it. And then when communication, technology, and availability made it practical, there was a network of emergency phone boxes. You ever see those in those old movies you were talking about? Right. You see the phone boxes on the poles on the mm -hmm. corners? And that's what those were for, placed at intervals on the roadside. So that brings us up to date. What is an emergency roadside breakdown? What do you think that is, Bill, when we talk about that? What comes to mind? Anytime that my car stops and I can't keep going to where I want to go to. That to me is an emergency and it's extremely irritating since I think reliability is my number one option in vehicles since that's what they're supposed to do is get us from point A to point B. And of course, these scenarios are never planned for. You never expect them to happen. And when it does, it really, really throws you off. I had this happen to me this last summer on a trip. And you have to really shift gears in your mind as to, okay, now what do I do first? What's priority here? 
As a matter of fact, AAA has reported recently that breakdowns are at a record high. And that was surprising to me. But then it becomes reality when you understand that the average age of the cars on the road today are 11 years old. Wow. I did not know that fact. So there's actually two levels of a breakdown. There's a total breakdown where you're actually not going to move at all. You're going to pull off the side of the road and it's done until you figure (laughs) out what to do next. And we'll talk more about that further on in our conversation here. But there's also a partial breakdown. This is where the vehicle might still be operable. It might become limited. In other words, maybe it doesn't quite get up to speed or it's wobbling really bad, but you can still move. In those cases, it's always best to get as far off the road as you can, possibly onto an exit or further off to the side of the road as far as safety goes. So, Rob, as you said, there's the complete and the partial. So what are some reasons why the vehicle, if I've kind of done my maintenance, which I assume you have, like, you know, what are those reasons why this would be happening to the vehicle? Well, actually, I did some research into that, and a really good resource when it comes to conversations like this is AAA. And AAA had listed, actually many sites out there had listed the top 10 reasons why vehicles go into the breakdown mode, if you will, and give you that scenario. The number one was, they called it, the battery. Now, I would imagine a dead battery can be caused by many different things, such as a poor alternator or a belt that's come off or something like that. There's few cars now that you can leave your lights on that don't turn off automatically. Right, right. There's a lot more draw on that battery. We require a lot more from our batteries with all of the accessories on our cars these days, for sure. So the battery was the number one reason why we might get stalled alongside the road or in a parking lot after we come out of the store, things like that. Number two, no surprise here, was the flat tire. I mean, that's what you typically see when you drive down a road. You see somebody alongside with a tire that's shredded or flat and most of us or a lot of us know what that's like to get stuck with that trying to find the jack and all of the parts and pieces that the car came with to make that change number three again no surprise is running out of gas well you talk about proactivity we need to think ahead a little bit make sure we have enough for the trip that has happened to me once i can only say that i got talking and I don't remember if it was an argument or just really good discussion and all of a sudden <laughs> the car just kind of stopped along the highway and I'm like what's going on and sure enough I looked on and I was out of gas. Obviously Billy that vehicle in that day didn't have the chime or the no. message that said that dings and says right. hey you're low on gas. Or the radio was playing and you're yeah. I would never admit that that chime has saved me a few times. <laughs> Uh, Number four, I kind of come back to the battery issue, was an alternator problem. So, Brian, what's an alternator? That's a mechanically driven component on the engine that produces the electricity that's needed to keep the battery charged, to run all the accessories as you're driving down the road. So a failure in that area most likely will result in the number one reason, which was the battery. It will definitely have an effect on that. Most batteries have a reserve capacity. So in many cases, when the alternator light comes on or the vehicle quits charging, you can drive for a short period of time, hopefully get to a repair shop to get that taken care of. So that would come back to our previous conversation about a partial breakdown, where maybe you can move far enough to get into a safe zone. Correct. And number five on that list was, well, it's kind of interesting, spark plugs. So spark plugs have lost their spark. 
That's another situation where the failure of a spark plug is most likely caused by something else in the ignition. So an ignition system malfunction was a number five reason for a breakdown. And then number six in my research here came up with the a broken starter or a, a starter that's not working. Now I would think once you're traveling down the highway, you don't have the need for the starters. This might be a breakdown, like I said, running to the store, coming back out, and it won't start, the reason being the starters. So that was down at number six on our list. Just for information, the starter is actually what turns the engine over when you turn your key. Number seven. Number seven came in as coolant leak. So Brian, explain that a little bit more when they say coolant leak. We know that's not our air conditioning. It's the fluid that takes the heat away from the engine and disperses it out through the radiator. I'm surprised it's that low, actually. This one will definitely be a you're-not-going-anywhere type breakdown. It can do significant damage to the engine if you continue to drive without coolant in there. Proper maintenance will go a long ways in helping to prevent this making sure the hoses are changed on a regular interval, typically five, six years. Having the vehicle inspected, looking for any type of small fluid leaks when you get your oil changed, and so on. Is that that classic that the car's on the side of the road with the hood up and steam coming off it? That is exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah, and like Brian said, surprise it's that low because you see that vision a lot, right. or you see that happen quite a bit, especially in the summer when things are warm. Or maybe it's yeah. just, again, the movies. Uh, you had Hollywood. Head to the south, and you see that a lot more with the summer heat that they get down there. So that's possibly why it's where Number it is on the list. in Wisconsin. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and I would imagine coolant leak, there's a lot of opportunity for failure there because the coolant runs through... Actually, more than just the engine of your car, it runs through the heater system, which comes in under your dash, and it runs through the radiator, and like you said, hoses. So there's a lot of areas of opportunity for a fluid to actually get loose, so yes, to say. Yes, there is. Number eight came in as what's called a lockout. In other words, oh my gosh, what did I do with my keys? I've lost my keys, or maybe the electronics in your car didn't work correctly and you can't get in, or you locked your keys in the car. That never happens in my family. <laughs> that is probably the number one thing that I've done on roadside calls is, is, a, is unlocking a out. Oh, wow. You can also, on those situations, can't you call the police department and they'll come with the bracket and sometimes do that if AAA, if you don't have AAA or there's not one around? The police departments are doing that less and less. It's almost to the point where unless there's a child in there or a dog or something like that, that they're not going to do it. It needs a lot more talent, some more specialized tools than you used to have to have. I also know that the little remote start, like, door opener, there's times when it runs out of charge and the car is locked. Oh, sure. Yeah. You can still open it with one key. and Yeah, only if you remember that the key is part of that, like, little device, sure. since I was reminded of that when that one time happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's typically only one door that you can unlock anymore because of that. That's interesting, and I think most of the towing operators or towing companies have the ability to take care of a lockout as well. Typically, they have that kit that can get into your vehicle. Of course, you have to pay for that, so it can be a relatively expensive mistake, as uh, somebody in my family experienced. Yeah, it's like one of those things, like, it's the emergency. You're not thinking through all of those things that are really possible, so... And that has happened to me in the past. I had locked a key in the car, and 
Ever since then, I have a spare key in my wallet. So it's not going to happen to me again. Great idea. And I know over the years, there's also been another idea, something like that with a hide a key. If I remember that, a little, a little magnetic, magnetic box. box. Yeah, right? totally. I've seen several situations where the box is gone. You or, just put it on the back bumper. Yeah, and the yeah. bumper's plastic now. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and... The other situations I've seen is it's been under there so long that the key is rusted and won't work anymore. Yep, I've seen that as well. The little box rust away too. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So maintenance. Maintenance, maintenance of yep. your safety system. <laughs> Put a spare key in your wallet. There you go. I like that idea. Number nine came in, and I was a little surprised at number nine was engine trouble. Pretty vague name, but more of a serious internal engine issue. Something we're going to see more often alongside the road on older vehicles or somebody that hasn't done a good job at maintaining their vehicle or doing their regular maintenance that we talked about earlier in our podcast. This might be catastrophic failure where it's going to put you down and out. You're not going to be able to move over the side of the road. You're just going to be done. And some of the things that you're going to hear prior to this engine failure breakdown is going to be some possibly loud noises or some bad smells, things like that. And number 10 was the transmission. Now, I would imagine in central Wisconsin, we wouldn't see a whole lot of this. Maybe it would be number 10 here in Wisconsin, but in more of a mountainous state Mm -hmm. or where there's a lot of climbing or cliffs or bluff, possibly Eau Claire in that area or La Crosse, you might see more of that there. But a transmission can actually put you down for the count as well. That's where basically I'm behind the wheel and the wheel is not turning, correct? Like it just doesn't drive. Is that my transmission? Possibly. The transmission is actually the main unit that transfers the power from the engine to your drive axles. So that's the park, reverse, neutral, drive, one, two, three. That's the transmission. So that's like it's just the car just sort of dies and I'm going to coast off the side of the road onto the side. Potentially. The engine might continue to run, but Uh you just can't make it go. Got it. Any. Other information on the transmission, what people would expect on a breakdown from the transmission, Brian? Happened to me a couple of years ago, driving down the interstate, and if I go uphill, the engine revs up because it's not transmitting power to the wheels because the transmission is what's called slipping. So it's not engaged, and if I let off on the throttle a little bit, I was able to go over the top of the hills and actually made it to Minneapolis and back by being really gentle on it. Also, it wasn't a total breakdown for you. No. So there's probably different levels of breakdown when it comes to the transmission. And that's one of those situations where you have enough knowledge to know what was probably going on in your vehicle. The rest of us would be freaking out, like, why doesn't this go? (laughs) Oh, I was freaking out, all right. (laughs) Okay, well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty on this. Let's just assume that the unthinkable happens. And for most of us, it's not if it happens, but when it happens. So you really need to be prepared in mind and equipped and ready for this. Safety is going to be the number one thing. A lot of the breakdowns occur on interstates or high traffic areas where the majority of cars are. So that's where safety comes in. We've got to stay safe. We've got to be aware of our surroundings. So that is first and foremost is safety. The first thing you want to do when you realize that you're going to go into a partial breakdown or a full breakdown is you've got to get your car out of the line of traffic as far as you possibly can while continuing to be safe. 
That might be the shoulder of an interstate, and I would urge everybody to try to get even a little bit further off that paved shoulder if you can without obviously going down into a ditch, but you want to get off as far as possible. In the event where your vehicle is still movable but not operating like it should, that's where you want to try to get to the next exit, of course, without causing further damage depending on what type of breakdown is starting to occur. Have either of you guys had that scenario? I'm sure you have in all the years you've been driving, but do you have a story at all, or can you remember back where you had to break down and you had to try to get off the side of the road? As a company, we have many commercial trucks that go out and take care of breakdowns alongside the road. And operating those trucks, you're putting your life at risk being out there. To get off the side of the road is ultra important, and... The motoring public, unfortunately, doesn't slow down or they don't get over to minimize the possible loss of life or somebody caught between the service truck and the car. I've heard several occasions where somebody rear-ends a service truck and paralyzes somebody because of being pinched in between. So the public needs to get over. There's a lot of videos out there that are scary. And that's where you see that, where a police officer has made a traffic stop. And, of course, those videos, he has the dash cam, so you see those things. So what Brian's explaining here is real. It happens. And it's not just that police officer necessarily, but in a breakdown, if you get out of the car and you're standing at the back of your vehicle, not looking at the traffic coming up behind you, you're putting yourself at risk. You never want to get between the vehicles. You should stay in your vehicle so that you have the protection. In my research, there was some different opinions about whether you should stay in the vehicle or get out of the vehicle, and it kind of depended on the surroundings or the type of highway or roadside that you were on. Some resources recommended that you safely get out of the passenger side of the vehicle and stand far away from the vehicle facing the oncoming traffic and other resources. And again, this depended on the situation or the scenario that you were in, but other ones said that stay in your vehicle. My opinion is stay in the vehicle. I've seen too many people look up and react, and then all of a sudden they try to get off to the right side and go through the ditch and try to miss what's going on because they weren't paying attention. And that's typically where you're going to be standing. You have some safety by sitting in the vehicle. I would vote for that as well. I think staying in your vehicle with your hazards on, making sure people are able to see you, but you're far enough off the road is a good place to be, the best place in that scenario. Putting the hazards on it. I don't think there's never an opportunity that it's not helpful. I mean, even if you have moving slowly down the road because you have something in your trunk sticking out, I always put my hazards on just to make sure that it's an added precaution to try and have people see the vehicle differently. Absolutely. You have to be seen for sure. If you ever notice a semi-truck driver that's broken down, they're required by law on a breakdown alongside the interstate or highway to set up cones or flares or whatever the case may be, LED lights. That's why they do that, for safety reasons, so they can be seen. So the oncoming traffic knows to, as Brian said earlier, pull over to the left lane as you pass. Of course, the best scenario is to find that exit, if you can, or that parking lot. And I had that situation happen to me this last summer where my vehicle died as we were driving, had the family with. And fortunately at that time, we were off the interstate, but we were in a very busy intersection roadway when it just literally quit. 
at that moment, my mind is, okay, where do I need to go? I've got curbs on all sides of me, so I can't get off to the side of the road. I'm in about six lanes wide. I'm off to the right side, fortunately, at this point, but I was able to coast, and the light turned just in time for me. I was able to coast, turn a right, and turn right into a parking lot. So that was the best case scenario. Of course, as you're thinking about that maneuver, you also got to think, am I turning in the correct parking lot, not too dark, with some questionable situation? So these are all things that go through your mind. Not at all what you thought would happen as you're driving down the road carefree on a vacation, for sure. So next, let's just say you're off to the side of the road, you're safe, you've got your hazards on, you're staying in the car like we talked about earlier, you've got to call for help. This is where our cell phones come handy. Thank God for Google. Absolutely. (laughs) What do we do before cell phones? I mean, how did you communicate You waved somebody down and a good Samaritan stopped and helped you. There was a thing way back when called a pay telephone. How many of you out there remember what a pay telephone is? (laughs) Rotary dial even. But yeah, you got to call for help. So who do you call? Ghostbusters. There you go. (laughs) I knew that (laughs) was coming. (laughs) Somebody had to say it. Well, who you call will depend, of course, on where this has happened. If it's in your neck of the woods or if you're out on the road somewhere a couple states away, it's going to make a big difference. When you're local and you're in your own area, you can call people you know. You can call your shop, the shop that you have your vehicle serviced at. You may know the names of the towing companies, and that's what you want to do. You want to get your vehicle off the roadway, so a towing company is really who you want to call. But when you're out on the road, far away from home, a different state, across the country, road trip, whatever the case may be, it's kind of hard to know who to call. So what would you do, Bill, in that situation? What comes to mind? You know, I think that that's where reviews come into Google, and I think most people would probably Google and then look at some of the reviews of those entities that come up. Hopefully you are in a place with cell service. I mean, there is that. If you don't have cell service, you're probably remote enough that even before you go down that remote area to really make sure your car is in good shape. But I think if you're in an area with cell service, you're going to Google, at least this is what I do, I'd Google and then look at some reviews for the most organization that has great reviews. Absolutely. And let's just say you didn't have that cell phone signal or you had really interrupted service and you just can't seem to get anything going on it. The next best case scenario would be for a a highway patrol to stop by or a police officer. Typically on our interstates, that'll happen sooner or later. They're gonna come by and they're gonna see that. They're gonna help you. Fortunately, they have a lot of bright lights as we know, Mm -hmm. and that's gonna help you to be seen and they'll be able to get you the help you need. But we shouldn't count on that. We need to be self-equipped in this scenario. So do your best, like Bill said, with reviews. Look for a reputable towing service in a garage. Oftentimes the tow truck driver will have some good opinions as to where your car can go or you should have your car taken to. So just take it for what it's worth and be sharp and think yourself through the situation. One thing for sure, this is definitely not the time to play mechanic. You don't want to try to take a stab at auto repair. Even if you're very fluent with repairing vehicles, roadside is not the place to start working on your vehicle. I've been down the highway. I've seen vehicles broken over where they've gotten their friends to come out. So you got two, three other cars out there and they're laying under their vehicle and they're along the interstate. Not a good thing to do. Have you seen that, Brian? Yes, I've seen that. And 
unfortunately, how many people are texting while they're driving down the road and not even paying attention to what's going on or distracted by something else. That's just a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. The few times that this has happened to me, honestly, I can't take my eyes off the oncoming traffic. I just constantly I'm aim myself that direction. No matter what I'm doing out there, even if I'm in the vehicle, I'm looking at my rearview mirror. just want to see what's coming. You're putting a lot of trust in somebody you don't know coming up behind you. Do you know of other services other than AAA that offer that type of, I'm sure there's got to be an app for this. And I don't know what that is, but I think it'd be something to research. I don't know. I know there's services like this in some of the larger metropolitan areas. I know Chicago has a service, I believe, that's funded by the city mm-hmm. for emergency breakdown. Minneapolis-St. Paul, the same. When you get in some of the more of the remote or urban or rural areas of Wisconsin, I'm not sure. Final couple pieces of this as to what to do when the unthinkable happens is to be aware of your surroundings. As I think, Bill, you mentioned earlier, a good Samaritan may come by and offer their help. In this day and age, we need to be careful with that as well. you got to use common sense. You've got to be very aware of those people that approach you. We've heard some stories about situations like that. They pop up in the news once in a while. Years ago, there were even some concerns about stopping in some rest stops. So just kind of a side note here, you're on a vacation, you do stop by in a roadside rest area. Be aware of your surroundings. It's always good to stop at the ones that have a lot of vehicles, a lot of trucks, a lot of cars parked, a lot of activity. So just again, use your common sense, know what your surroundings are and anybody that approaches you. Okay, now that we've talked about all the gloom and doom and all the preparation that you should be getting ready for when the unthinkable happens, let's squirrel a little bit here and talk about a road trip. We always get together and talk about this partway through our podcast in regards to different things that we can do in Wisconsin, and we talk about Wisconsin specifically here. In Wisconsin, there's a lot of things to do year-round in Wisconsin. We have some of the best winters all the way from south to north, east to west, along with summer. But we're heading into the winter here. We're heading into the icy, snowy months. And it's no secret that us Wisconsinites, we don't stop for anything. We get out and we play in the snow. We have a good time. As a matter of fact, in Eagle River, Wisconsin, and that's way up to the north, right? That's, yeah, it's, it's up far there. up there. Getting up there. You haven't hit Lake Superior yet. So it's not the end of the world, but no. you can see it from there? <laughs> I don't know about that. But. <laughs> They're actually considered to be the snowmobile capital of the world. So why is that? I think every year in January, I believe it's in January, they have snowmobile races. And it's supposedly one of the biggest snowmobile events in the country. I believe it's actually even international. I believe so. As a matter of fact, it's known as the Indianapolis 500 of snowmobile racing. The Derby is not only the largest and most prestigious snowmobile competition in the sport, it's one of the highest ranking winter sport events in the Midwest and recognized around the world, like you said, Bill, hosting oval and snowcross racing. So a lot to do, a lot going on up there in Eagle River. This typically happens uh, around that middle of January. Looking at the schedule, it looks like they're scheduled this year or next year, I should say 2021, for January 15th and 16th and 17th. So if you're looking to do something in the middle of January, in the cold, I'm sure the amount of people that are there, they're going to keep it warm for you. As a matter of fact, it looks like you can actually reserve what they call hot seats by calling their number. So look them up online. 
I think the best way to get the information for the snowmobile races up in Eagle River is to Google. Bill, you've got that information right there in front of you. What do you got? Yeah, it's the World Championship Derby Complex is really where you're going to in Eagle River. And you can reach out to info at derbycomplex.com. And I'm sure that they will be able to provide you all the housing, the accommodation. It's actually been on one of those lists that just living in Wisconsin, we all know about it. Everybody has, well, I shouldn't say everybody. Most people have snowmobiled at some point in their life, and it's a great deal of fun. And I think to go up there and just see the technology of the snowmobiles is amazing. That just like any other racing or high-end vehicle competition, the quality, the engineering, the talent that goes into some of this stuff it's just outstanding sounds like a great deal of fun i'm in bill it sounds great you've got me sold on that especially the motocross i mean you we think of motocross i mean i've seen it on television where snowmobiles do the motocross and i mean they go 25 30 feet up in the air i mean like it's amazing i would love to sit and watch that from the hot seat i'm gonna wreck (laughs) one of those hot seats yeah that sounds good Well, we're going to reel it back now. We're going to get back into the nitty-gritty of this emergency roadside breakdown that we've been talking about. So the big question is, what can I do to decrease the possibility of a breakdown? Is there anything we can do? We had talked about the top 10 reasons why cars break down in an emergency situation alongside the road. Some of those seem to be preventable, some of those not. What are some of the things that we can do to prevent that? Keeping on top of your schedule maintenance is probably the biggest key to this. Getting the spark plugs changed on a regular interval as one of the breakdowns that you listed earlier. Replacing the battery. Batteries go bad in the summer months, but tend to show up more so in the winter months. The heat really kills them. Putting gas in your car. That's a pretty easy one. one. That's an easy one. That's preventable, I think. Doing a walk around. You've talked about that in the past, Rob, where you actually get out and walk around your car before you take off. Look at the tires. See if you can see any bolts or screws sticking out of the tires that may give you some trouble when you're driving down the road. Being aware of what's going on with your car. Those are probably the biggest keys to help minimize breakdowns. That sounds good. And we have talked about, too, in past uh, podcast sessions, your regularly scheduled oil change is kind of the time to take a moment, have a professional assess your vehicle and as long as you're doing those you're going to know your car better and be ready for situations like this that may never happen as a result of staying in tune with your car i would suggest getting it done sooner than later don't wait till the day before you're planning on taking a trip to get your oil change just done. in case there's a couple things that need to be done or should yeah. be done they can still get done or they can get you in to actually do it you. absolutely <laughs> Because one safety thing that I'm talking about going up to the snowmobile races just reminds me that if you have a breakdown, I mean, just that kit in your trunk, something like what should you have in your trunk? And long time ago, somebody once said, have a blanket, have an extra pair of snow pants, a hat, some gloves, maybe some boots that if you break down and you're sitting in your car, you're going to probably get cold. And what type of things do you want to have to be able to prevent and keep yourself warm during that time of waiting for anybody to potentially arrive in really inclement weather. I can never say enough about the importance of having a breakdown kit in your trunk. Everybody should have one. If you don't, you definitely need to consider putting one together. There's a lot of different resources out there that will make a good list of items that you should have in your trunk. We also have a link listed at 
uh, allaboutthecarpodcast.com. You can go out and take a look at that. In addition to the list that we have in our link out there, a couple other good things to make sure you add into that. As Bill said, clothing, depending on what season we're in. Also, possibly an umbrella or a rain gear, depending on if you get stuck alongside the road in rain and you have to get out. Also, have emergency contacts in your glove box and in your phone. So make sure you have all those contacts the best that you can. And when I say that, towing service, and we talked about local versus on the road, but have a towing service, have a police and highway patrol, contact information, emergency contact, have all your friends and family. Your friends and family are probably going to be your best help in a situation like this. So then, Rob, you talked about having numbers and that information for this experience, this negative experience. Does insurance ever cover this? I mean, like, can I call my insurance agent? Most insurance companies and most insurance policies will cover towing. That is a great thing to know. Many people don't know that. So when you do have your car towed, if you do have it towed, make sure that you get a couple receipts, one that you can keep for your own records and one that you can hand back into your insurance company. That'll save me some bucks. Absolutely. If there's a bright spot in this whole story that we've given today, it might be that. I mean, that towing bill might be a long way. I mean, you may have to tow for quite a while. Right. Absolutely. Well, we've covered a lot of things today. This has been a very interactive, I guess, a negative conversation, (laughs) but we're trying to bring some light to it, if you will. We talked about the history of a breakdown and how people way back in the day had to be more than just owner operators. You had to know how to fix your own car, but that's changed a lot over the years. We did talk about the fact that breakdowns are at a record high, which really surprised me with the average age of the cars on the road being 11 years or older. And we talked about what to do when the unthinkable happens. And we also discussed the having the emergency contacts available at all times so you're prepared when this happens. And then we took a little bit of a road trip off to the side and we went all the way up to Eagle River and watched some snowmobile races. So they're the snowmobile capital of the world and great road trip, something to do in the middle of January. We talked about what you can do to prevent breakdown If there is anything, it would be just keeping on track with your car's maintenance. And then, of course, we talked about the fact that your towing might be covered under your insurance. So keep that in mind. So ride along with us next time when we talk about jump-starting your car. So kind of along the same scenario when something like the unthinkable happens, where it's all about the car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. See you next time.